The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Hi, I'm Robert King, and you're listening to The Secrets of Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, where we're looking at the hidden layers and deeper meanings of this highly anticipated 2022 entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Joining me on the panel today are Angela Cialana. Hi, Angela. Hey, Robert. Great to be here. Right on. Great to have you. Also, Andrew Hermes. Hello, hello. Good to have you back. And today we have a special guest, Bill Field. Welcome, Bill. Hey, thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you. So, as I said, we're talking about Wakanda Forever. Now, most of the reviews I read focused on the idea of this film as a tribute to Chadwick Boseman, who played the Black Panther in previous Marvel outings and who passed away unexpectedly in 2020. And that is a prominent and a worthy aspect of the film for sure. But there's a lot more that's going on, and we're looking forward to unpacking all of that in this podcast. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, I want to give a brief uh, summary of the film. Here's your spoiler warning in case you need one. Wakanda Forever begins with Shuri trying to save her brother T'Challa from some unspecified disease by replicating the heart-shaped herb which was destroyed in the first Black Panther movie. She fails, and the whole nation mourns the loss of their king. But the rest of the world starts looking for ways to gain an advantage over Wakanda, which is now revealed to have the most advanced technology in the world. In particular, the U.S. is searching for, bi for vibranium, the unique metal that makes Wakandan tech possible, and they're searching it for it all over the world. They discover some of it on the floor of the Atlantic Ocean. That expedition is attacked, and the U.S. blames Wakanda. But, surprise, it was actually a group of people who live underwater and are led by Kukulkan, or as his enemies call him, Namor. They are a Mayan people who ate a vibranium-infused plant to save themselves from the conquistadors, which somehow turned them into water breathers. Now, Kukulkan is a mutant who ages more slowly and can still breathe air and can fly. So he's special even among his own people. I think I'll call him Namor for the rest of this because that's how he's referred to in the original comics. <laughs> and it's a little easier for me to say. <laughs> Namor rather aggressively proposes an alliance with Wakanda to keep vibranium from falling into normal people's hands. They particularly want the American scientist who developed a vibranium detector. Her name is Riri Williams. From here, the movie chases Riri and Shuri around as they negotiate whether an alliance between them is worthwhile and whether Riri should be kept alive. Namor wants to kill Riri and have an alliance to make war on the surface world. But Shuri wants to keep Riri alive and maintain peace with other nations. But this is a Marvel movie, so fighting is inevitable. Namor and his army attack Wakanda, and they kill Shuri's mother, Queen Ramonda, 
Shuri then recreates the heart-shaped herb and becomes the new Black Panther. She rallies Wakanda to counterattack with a special plan to defeat the apparently undefeatable Namor. In the fight, she has an opportunity to an opportunity to kill him, but she gives him the chance to yield and form a peaceful arrangement. Finally, Shuri can accept the deaths of her brother and her mother and move on with her own life. Did I leave anything out, guys? <laughs> <laughs> it was a long movie, and I tried to to kind of get the important things in as compactly as I could there. That was a great um, summary. That was really good, yeah. <laughs> you did that in a short amount of time. <laughs> so, as I said, there is a lot to talk about, but let's let's maybe start at the obvious place. This is a movie that's largely driven by grief that's largely driven by grief and loss. Um, and the first, of course, is the one that everyone has been talking about. This movie is kind of a massive tribute to Chadwick Boseman, who played T'Challa in the first several outings. Um, what what were your experiences of, of, well, of Chadwick Boseman and of the movie as a tribute to him? Uh, yeah, as far as the... Chadwick Boseman of it all. I, I think the movie is sort of bookended, you know, with really great sort of tributes to to Chadwick Boseman and the uh, Prince T'Challa, King T'Challa, I should say. Um, and uh, I, I think the the rest of the movie, uh, the, you know, between the middle and the end, you really feel a a Chadwick Boseman size hole in it. Uh, I, I feel, and, um, uh, that's something I think you can't escape. You know, honestly, I I'm, I'm surprised that they even were able to pull off this, this film. I, I think you, you know, that withstanding, I, I still enjoyed the film overall. It, it has its sort of issues that, that we'll get into, but as far as a tribute, uh, to Chadwick and the black Panther character, I thought, Again, the beginning and the end, you know, in the beginning, I thought I thought it was an interesting and really sort of cool perspective or, or sort of a way of storytelling to show the sort of frantic nature of like, you know, a loved one that's about to die. You know, it, it, it like right away, the movie opens and it's, you know, sure, he's just trying to to find a cure and and and. uh you know, she's every that's all her mind is set on. And, and she she hasn't allowed herself to to accept the inevitable. Um, and, and it looks like, you know, her mother has and, and and, you know, everyone around her, everyone in Wakanda sort of saw this coming. And, and she was the one that was. Doing everything she could. I mean, that that's totally relatable, and understandable. I, I think if you had a, a brother, a family member that was going through that and there was a slight possibility that you could maybe do something like you, you would probably do it until the end. And uh, I liked how it showed how, how like, you know, I've been in a hospital, you know, with uh you know, a loved one, you know, on their deathbed and it's, it's, it can be frantic like that. And, and there's a lot of emotions and a lot of uh, things going on. So uh, I like how they, I like how Ryan Coogler chose to to tell that, that part of the story. Um, and obviously at the end, you know, with, uh, with Shuri finally, you know, coming to peace throughout her journey in the film and, and the, the touching, uh, 
sort of tribute to uh to to king t'challa where we find out his that he has a son out there and that his, that he's named after him so I, that was you know the beginning and the end of the movie like re, you know wrecked me so it, it was uh, very emotional and i thought it was very touching so i thought i thought they handled as far as the, the like you like the question you're asking the, the honoring chadwick i thought they handled it really really well yeah they they um they did a really good job with the difficult task of like taking that outside event and kind of translating it into movie terms without making it um, like take over the movie in a way. Um, Angela, you were going to say something. Yeah. Well, uh, Andrew really set me up very well because on that scene, um, when Ramonda and Shuri are at the riverbank and Ramonda is trying to help Shuri grieve um her loss there is an elephant and its child by the river and by um doing some little research i was watching the 2020 special called black panther in search of wakanda which you can also find on disney plus and um that in that they mention that the main wakanda song that was made for the black panther movies um is actually about an elephant dying and the mourning of the elephant and that the elephant's child will rise up to take its place. And so of course we got that theme in the very first Black Panther with um, T'Challa's father dying. And now here we have T'Challa himself dying. And so um, it's kind of, you know, poetic in a sad and tragic way that both of these movies had um, a death and um, the second not being planned, but uh, originally, of course, but to see them include that um, that allegory or metaphor uh, visually as well as um, sonically, you know, with that um, iconic Wakanda song um, and that moving vocalization. Um, but then also just watching the cast, you know, talk about T'Challa in the movie and seeing their emotions when they're saying, you know, that, that it, it, how it hurt them, you know, their character, you could really, I, I think I felt <laughs> some of their own personal emotion, you know, having lost uh, Chadwick. So um, I, I think, you know, that, that added to the movie in a way that you can't really, I mean, you can't make that up, you know, so um, I'm, I'm sure that, that was partially why I think this movie ended up being one of my favorite, you know, Marvel movies, um, just overall, probably number one right now. <laughs> that sense of, of catharsis with um, like, it, it almost seems like making the movie may have been a, a, a process of grieving for the production crew and, and so on, all those who had worked with Chadwick before. Bill, anything you'd like to add on on the topic of, of Chadwick and the film as a tribute? I'm going to say something extremely unpopular right now. I think they should have recast the role. Um, the, the reason being is his story goes on to be so much more. And with Marvel, the MCU now uh, appropriating the X-Men franchise, he and Storm, who are married in the comics, could have had that opportunity now that they've done this 
they're going to have to figure other things out, but it will never happen. And that made me sad in a way because that's a big part of his story. And their relationship is one of the more important parts of his timeline, I would say. So, uh, but honestly, I liked the movie a lot. Um, I, uh, I thought they should have gotten someone to play uh, someone younger to play um, Riri Williams because she's supposed to be 13 to 15 in the comics. And um, uh, this actress was definitely not that young, probably by a long shot. I, I haven't looked up her age, but I know I know she was an adult, you know, not a kid, but they play her young, but it just didn't seem quite right to me. Sure, he seems much younger than her, and sure he's supposed to be a good, probably five to six years older than her. So, um, but I'm also a stickler in a weird way, not in a weird way, but in a <laughs> comic historian way because, um, you know, I the, um, I came equipped with um, trivial stuff. I say trivial meaning trivia, but it might be trivial to our discussion. I don't know. But did you realize that the Black Panther uh, premiered six months before the um, group, the Black Panthers, formed? So the Black the, Panther... The comic book, you mean? Yeah, uh, well, not the comic book. He he made an appearance in the Fantastic Four, and that was his first appearance. And they decided to uh, put a full mask on him because they were afraid of the backlash from the South of a black character being foremost on a cover. Because if you look at that cover, you'll see that he's prominent in the Fantastic Four in the background, which was something that was relatively um, rare in in the early run. So, um, and so he influenced um, his, his just being there influenced so much. He was, um, not exactly the first black superhero, but he was damn close. Um, they've uh, retconned a lot of this stuff now to where you have characters that um, were created more recently, but they put them in the past. But uh, seriously, he's he's the first one that anyone took seriously. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he, he stands out for so many reasons. And um, then Namor, Namor is actually the oldest Marvel comic character. He he first appeared in 1939, and uh, he had a great run in the 40s, but he first appeared in what was going to be a giveaway at uh, movie theaters across America called Motion Pictures uh, Comics Weekly. And it was created by Bill Everett, and Bill Everett also did the end of uh, the original run of Submariner uh, uh, from Marvel in the uh, early 70s. And so he, he kind of had the bookends of the most important parts of his history. Um, but he created a character that was very, very unlike the character we see in this movie. Um, yeah. His, his, um, his ego is the same. His powers are pretty close. Um, I was a little... You know, what bothered me the most that was never in the comics, although I liked it, but it seemed too easy a weapon to use, was the siren song. 
Hmm. That really bothered Angela. I loved that. that. Did uh, you so really? Of course, I don't know the comics, but I yeah. love that just from and, the and Greek you know, mythology. I mean, you know? if, it, if it had if it had been in the comics, it would have been easier for me to accept. I thought it was an easy pass for them to get through stuff. You know, um, oh, well, let's just to so just, just to be clear, you're saying that that in the com- because I'm I'm not a big reader of the comics um that 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 siren song that the they were using doesn't appear in the comics much not that i'm aware of no so to me just i think as from a film perspective mm-hmm. it creates this sense of dread uh of a people that is so mysterious you know because it's part of how they're introduced right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Oh, um yeah. it's it's creating the sense of oh my gosh who are these people when you know we have to buy their um how dangerous they are because they're brand new to the story so that that was why that was one of the reasons why i i really liked that part of it um and i also wonder if they were bringing in um just with the mayan and aztec influence like how um song was was a part of the the culture so who knows yeah. but well no that that makes a lot of sense from that from that standpoint in in the um and by the way um this is again trivial trivia but uh they got namor's name they wanted something this is in 1939 of course they wanted something regal for the submariner and what they did was they just took Roman and turned it backwards. So Namor is Roman <laughs> backwards. So you oh, can't wow. get more regal than that, can you, folks? <laughs> and I and I just I have to say this this quick quick joke. Well, not joke, but my uncle had told me, and my uncle was like this quote unquote smart guy in the family. He worked high up in the State Department, and he was convinced since he was a child that you pronounced it submariner. And this guy was really smart. And But everyone I, I told that to <laughs> said, oh, no, it's submariner. And and I thought submariner. And the cartoon, it was submariner. So I, I was convinced, and I kept telling him. So I was 14 years old. I went to a convention, and I met Stan Lee for the first time. I would meet Stan every seven years after that until Stan died, sadly. sadly. But... uh uh, what was funny is, is um, I went up to him and I said, look, my uncle is convinced <laughs> it's Submariner for all these years since he was a kid. And he goes, well, Billy, I hate to tell you, but your uncle's been wrong for many, many years. <laughs> and, and so uh, I told my uncle that and he goes, how can this be? And he wasn't used to being wrong. And so this, this, this is why uh, I loved being on here tonight because I wanted to tell that story because it's to me that I can't think of Submariner without Submariner now. You know, it's, 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 it's indented in my brain, but, uh, but then, um, I did want to bring up one more thing about Black Panther that not many people know. He's one of the few, uh, comic book superheroes who has fought the Ku Klux Klan. Interesting. Okay. They, they got around it and it still carried the comics code authority 
um, uh, stamp on the cover, but they got around it by calling them the CLAN clan. And hmm. it, but it was very evident it was, you know, the clan clan, the K clan. But I can't believe I'm saying it, it was the K clan, not the C clan. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, but, uh, but it was really an, an amazing set. And, um, uh, the, uh, I gotta look at my notes real quick. Cause, and Killmonger also appeared within the same, uh, series. It was called Jungle Action. Don McGregor, he's the guy, he's actually a white guy. But he worked together with Billy Graham, who was one, not the evangelist, but Billy Graham, uh, the black comic artist, who is fantastic and worked on a lot of the early issues of Luke Cage, uh, which became Luke Cage, well, Luke Cage Hero for Hire, which became Luke Cage Mm -hmm. Power Man. But um, uh, Billy Graham kind of made sure that this stuff wasn't like black exploitation. As mm-hmm. was all the rage. He he gave all the characters that they worked on, including Black Goliath, um, uh, for Marvel. Uh, he he helped them have respect and understanding without being like you know, uh, uh, Shuggy Bear from uh, you know, uh, the TV uh, the seventies uh, Starsky and Hutch, where every black guy at that time was con was like a pimp. And it, I mean, and that's downright racist, but Marvel did an awful lot to give, um, uh, people of color, uh, something to, to really be proud of. And that's mainly due to Billy Graham. Well, that is, that is some amazing history. And, and I mean, definitely we're looking at characters who have, really strong roots in mm-hmm. the the history of comics and the the you know the they have this this great tradition we also know that marvel studios has felt pretty free to play fast and loose with the the ca- comics canon um and so um i don't know is it, in 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 talking about marvel films like i said i'm not a big uh, comics reader myself, but uh, several of my friends are, and it's always that that line of, okay, how much do you like look at it as an adaptation of particular comics, and how much do you look at it as kind of its own, um, its own oh. story? Oh, a hundred percent. That yeah, that's, that's what I had to reckon with when they first started coming out because I, and one day I had this epiphany where. You know what? The MCU is Marvel on the big screen. Of course, mm-hmm. they're going to have to make changes and adaptations to get it up there. Like they did for DC with Watchmen. They played a little fast and loose with a couple of major elements. But it still worked. But and, and in Watchmen, case, surprisingly, is, is probably the most accurate, you know, comic book, I guess, film. Oh, like, Watchmen? Uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah. Because like I I, I I mean you've compared it to like 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 we're talking about like the the MCU and the right. and the DCU like yeah they take a lot of liberties I mean Zack Snyder pretty much like used the comic as a storyboard and yeah obviously there was like a couple big changes that he made but I thought 
as far as like from comic to film from comic to screen i thought yeah yeah watchmen is pretty accurate oh no i agree with you 100 yeah. percent. it's one of my favorite comic book movies and i think it's very yeah i think it's very faithful to the to the original material yeah without a doubt well it's it's clear that for wakanda forever they they felt like they had to i mean with with many of the other marvel movies they seem to draw heavily on inspiration from particular comics but this one i think they were they were really striking out in a new direction and and i think a lot of that was due to the uh untimely passing of of chadwick boseman which forced them i mean uh, agree or disagree with their decision they made it pretty early on not to recast the role and i understand why they did it i just wish they hadn't just strictly for what's still there for him and i don't know how the character of black panther yeah right yeah i think you know i i kind of you know i was always at odds with that decision you know when when they came out and, and made it it's like it's hard to see someone other than chadwick play the role but at the same time like I kind of agree with you. Like I, you want to see the the Black Panther character, uh, specifically T'Challa. You know, you want to see his story grow, and uh, I, and I. But I think Marvel, you know, kind of having his son having the same name right. at the end. I, I think they gave themselves sort of a know. like, hey, the Black Panther character is going to live on through this kid, and and you know, with the whole like multiverse and how they can play with time. They can immediately jump forward and make him older and, 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 you know, have a, again, it's, it's, it's all speculation, but I think, I think they specifically made that choice at the end to, to have his son named T'Challa to, to further that character along. Um, and, and I hope that they do. Yeah. Although I have to say, I am pretty invested in Shuri and where her character is going um, oh, yeah. and how she's going to, take the black panther mantle forward um i yeah and and this movie really is kind of shuri's journey isn't it i mean Mm -hmm. it starts with her and it ends with her and it it like that that journey that she goes on from from like you know i will stop questioning your existence bast um at the beginning to fulfilling the traditions of her ancestors at the end um it's it's quite an arc and and it's one i think that that is resonant at least it was for me and i think for for many um catholics and christians out there that it's it's essentially a conversion story and it's not a normal one it's a it's a conversion t- through the process of grief um i i wonder yeah do you do you have thoughts about that that journey that she went on um i know angela maybe you can start us off (laughs) yeah um i have a lot of thoughts because honestly this was one of the biggest themes that um i guess moved me personally um and I actually spoke to somebody after watching the movie um, about the moment where um, Shuri and Ramonda are talking again, going back to that riverbank scene, which is awesome. Um, Great scene. Yeah. Yeah. And Ramonda is kind of walking her, walking Shuri through, you know, how to grieve um, and that she needs to grieve. She's, She's like, 
you need to sit here with me and with yourself in order to have peace. And how many of us today, like, don't take that time because, you know, oh, I got to go to work or I've got to, you know, fulfill my responsibilities. And a lot of times, um, just the capitalist societies that a lot of us live in, um, just don't allow for that. Um, and so I think for Shuri to not be allowing herself, um, and being kind of relying on her technology, um, is very relatable for people that may be watching, but, um, you know, Ramonda's kind of going through this ritual with her and it, it really rooted that moment in, you know, what are our ancestors, um, wisdom and, and what do they, they encourage us to do is like, they've passed on these rituals for us to heal, to be able to, um, to find, you know, fulfillment in our humanity and, and some kind of peace. And, and so she's, she's going through this beautiful ritual of, you know, I found your brother in the, in the wind and, um, and then Shuri's like, no, that was just a construct of your mind. So you could feel comfort or joy. And, and when I was talking to that person, I mentioned, um, they were really struck by what Ramonda's response was. Um, and it was really convicting for this person I was talking to. She says, what construct does your mind create when you think of your brother? Does it offer you comfort or torment? And I think a lot of people, um, a lot of us have those moments where we maybe have, have put the importance of our mind and being rational over what is spiritual and what is in, in many ways, you know, being a whole human being. So those are just a few of my, my thoughts on Shuri's journey. I, I, I loved that response to the, I loved that Ramonda didn't deny the whole mental construct idea, but she kind of incorporated it into her perception of spirituality and grief and in a very, um, both and way um, that that I loved. Um, I think it's pretty clear that from a Catholic stance, the clearest message to me was um, your journey through suffering and what suffering can bring to yourself and others. Uh, and that it's not a bad thing. And it's part of your evolution of your own story and um, especially when you're doing it as a movie, you know, of course you have all these, these things that um, have affected Shuri. Then on top of everything else, she loses her mother. Mm-hmm. And so she suffers yeah. and suffers. And so, and she's like, she, it's almost like Job. It's like, she goes through a Job like transformation almost where she says, you know, come on, you know, what else are you going to do to me? And, and she was just, she couldn't take it anymore. And I thought that's when she had the breakthrough. And I think for a lot of us, um, uh, that, that do believe in Christ. Um, I, I think a lot of us go through that sometimes and where 
everything hits at once and you're like, hey, you're supposed to be looking out for me. <laughs> and then when you right. get out on the other side, you realize he was. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and but it's never the way you think it's going to be, you know, and you shouldn't try to second guess them, you know, for sure. And that's something I'm very guilty of, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, I think I think all of us are <laughs> in some way. <laughs> no doubt. Um, I loved I loved the line that Baku said to her at at her mother's funeral, you know, you've lost too much for anyone to consider you a child. And and that that really resonated as well. Isn't that a strong message? I mean, it's yeah. so true. And, you know, she's she's actually in her early to mid 20s as a character. Mm-hmm. So she's not really a child anyway. But they're starting to see her as, even though she does, she isn't going to take the mantle of Queen of Wakanda, it shows that she will have power in the new Wakanda one way or another because of who she is and what her lineage is. You know, um, I, I really do like um, the different factions you have in Wakanda, the apes versus the panthers, basically. You know, it, it, it almost sounds like a football, you know, game, you know, the gorillas versus yeah. the Panthers tonight. Uh, but uh, it, 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 that's the thing. And they tried really hard to bring that to the land of Namor, um, which I hate to say what they're calling it now, because I, I it's always been Atlantis in the comics. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have a problem with the way they went with it, but it, it, I'm still trying, struggling with pronouncing all the new names. But, you know. <laughs> I'll say it for you, Bill. Just point at me and I'll. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Angela. <laughs> That's so sweet of you. But, um, but no, I really, um, I really thought this movie was the Namor show, quite frankly. I felt like he got more screen time than pretty much anyone. Um, they went overboard. I, here's what I think. I don't. He Namor was a, originally supposed to first appear in Doctor Strange number two. Believe it or not, and That's right. that yeah. didn't in, happen. In the MCU's planning. In, yeah. Right. Yeah. Originally. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And um, I believe they shuffled things around when they realized Chadwick Boseman had died. And they thought, okay, we can't recast Black Panther, but we can have the journey of the new Black Panther around the story of Namor, which, you know, honestly, Mm -hmm. I was captivated by a lot of the Namor stuff, but I did think the movie ran a little bit too long. Um I I, yeah. I thought they tried it to pack it. It was not a, a short bit. movie. No, no, it, it, it was <laughs> almost three hours. I know uh, yeah, uh, you know, the ones I really like are short. Um, <laughs> and it's not because they're short. It's like, I believe, like, the first um, the first Doctor Strange movie was rather short. Um, I believe, well, the shortest thing they've done is the Werewolf by Night mm-hmm. uh, Halloween special, which was under an hour. Yeah. But it seemed like two hours because it was such a wonderful story. And uh, yeah, that was it, good. I enjoyed it that. It definitely had some religious implications, mm-hmm. you know, in it, which I like. You know, uh, Marvel does not shy away. If you look at what they've done with Daredevil on television, 
you'll see Marvel has not shied away from religion if it's part of the mm-hmm. character's makeup. And mm-hmm. Matt Murdock was always a devout Catholic, and they really do portray him that way. And they do it, to, in my opinion, they do it in a way that is not insulting at all to, to Catholics. You know, I, I really feel like someone's in there making sure they don't, you know, do something stupid. You know, yeah. if that makes sense. Can can I yeah, yeah. kind of break in here? Because um, as you're talking about the religious themes and also about Shuri's journey um, yeah. with Namur, as I say, um, one of the things that, <laughs> <I like> that. <laughs> for anybody who's completely new to this, I'm like, I have my dad is Mexican with indigenous blood. So um, so the cool thing that I got to do in preparing for this is to go back to that Aztec and Mayan wisdom. And one of the cool things is that if you're talking about Namor and you're talking about him as the feather serpent God of the mm-hmm. Mayan people and the Aztec people, as well as specifically the Mexica people, um, they for the Aztec people, I know, um, they called Kukulkan, their name for him was Quetzalcoatl. And they believed mm-hmm. that we could all become like Quetzalcoatl um, if we reach a freedom of spirit and self-actualization. So to think about how Shuri's journey goes all the way to the end, and she, like you were just saying, has this moment of, oh my gosh, there's nothing worse that can happen to me now. And she has this real, this almost like revelation from the ancestors, right? Like her mother coming back from the ancestral plane, telling her, show him who we, who you are. Um, to me, it's like, she's the one that becomes the Quetzalcoatl, the, the feather serpent God, the Kukulkan. She's the one who becomes that because she reaches that point before Namur reaches that point. Because Namor is all about, you know, revenge and seeking that kind of, um, I mean, he does want to protect his people, right? But at the same time, he's also playing that revenge game. Um, and so that's kind of the spiritual irony that I'm realizing now as we're talking is like, well, sure, he's the one that actually reaches that Quetzalcoatl, like spiritual uh, fulfillment, you know, at the end of the movie. Um, so yeah, I'm not even sure cool. that Namor, Namor reaches it himself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't. Yeah. I think, <laughs> uh, I think they made it a point to make Namor like if, if obviously he's the villain of the movie and by the end of it, he's at best like a, a gray area type of character. Um, you know, obviously he, you know, he respects the decision that Shuri made to not kill him and 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 not uh take vengeance on his people um i think he he saw the the, the reasoning behind that and and respected it um but yeah i think i think namor has to live like lives in that gray area um and uh you know i i think ultimately he's not going to be a villain i mean in the comics bill you can speak to this uh, he's not really like always just a heart like a straight black and white villain no um he he plays a he's a hero he, he teams up with the heroes he, he you could tell i mean obviously his journey in the film it, 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 like it, you can you have you empathize with his character obviously because of of what him and his people have gone through and um 
and Angela, I thought that was a very um, uh, sort of cool uh, bit of research that you did, um, you know, uh, into, into making the point that Shuri, you know, becomes the feather serpent god in a way. And and I thought, like, obviously that turning point for her is like when she goes to the ancestral plane and, and she sees Killmonger instead of, you know, her mm-hmm. brother or mm-hmm. her father. Gosh, and, that was and, great. That was a great yeah, that was, writing a beautiful decision and, and, and piece of, uh, yeah, like you said, Angel, a piece of writing that, um, you know, like everyone, everyone expects like, Oh, what are they going to do? Like, are they going to, is this going to be like a, like Chadwick Boseman, uh, uh, CGI deep fake, or is it going to, you know, maybe you'll see like his, the back of his head, you know, it's played <laughs> by a different actor. Um, maybe she'll just see her father. But I thought the the choice to to bring Killmonger was great because you thought like she went through like hell like her within like what the span of a year her dad dies her brother dies and her mom just died and now she goes to this ancestral plane <laughs> expecting to see them and then they're not there yeah. <laughs> Killmonger's yeah. there yeah and then she's like you know she's like voicing her tour turmoil to him like like she wants vengeance she wants mm-hmm. retribution and and uh and she could have easily became the villain and and obviously she she makes the the right choice the black panther choice right mm. the, the the choice that uh you know being wakanda's protector and not wakanda's you know assassin or you know uh she she did she made the right choice and 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 i think yeah that that was a beautiful way for her sort of journey to wrap up. It's, it's, it's like you said, Bill, it's like, it's like Jonah's story, you know, like how, how much suffering can you bear, you know? Um, but obviously the reward that comes out of all that suffering is, is you come out of it, how she comes out of it. I mean, uh, where she beca- really does become Wakanda's protector. Um, she gets to do it on her, on her own terms, which is nice. She doesn't have to be queen. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think that would have been out of character for her. So I thought that was a good choice as well. Um, and uh, she gets and she obviously uh, finishes her. She goes through that grieving process, like we were saying. So, um, yeah, I thought I thought that was handled um, uh, very well and 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 was told in a very uh, unique way. Yeah. And, and it was tied up with, you know, the 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 how to grieve and the um how, who she was expecting and and her her whole belief in the ancestral realm and and the mm. the gods of of her tradition was tied up with these ethical questions right with questions of of um you know on the one hand justice versus vengeance and and maybe i don't know if mercy fits in there at all but on the other hand, also with questions of loyalty and and even nationalism, and um, these are these are these are questions that the first Black Panther movie dealt with pretty directly as well, and mm-hmm. and so so seeing seeing her really wrestle with like these ethical questions on a very emotional level was was moving for me. The other thing that's cool is that she has gone to the ancestral plane at that point from an artificially created um, heart-shaped herb. 
And yeah. so it's, um, it's, and she's not really a hundred percent believing either. So there's all of those factors coming into play and it's sort of like, again, the, the idea of faith, like, do you, like, how much faith do you need to have that experience, right? To have that spiritual experience. Like sometimes people go to like maybe more of like a, a charismatic type of, you know, church service and there will be um, slaying in the spirit where someone um, is so overcome by, you know, the Holy Spirit that they will just fall, right? You've seen it probably on TV, um, but I've there's also like Catholic charismatic um stuff as well that I've been part of. And there's this, this level that something that happens like in our brain or in our spirit, our body, are those just like disconnected? Are they connected? Like, I think as Catholics, we would say we're a unified whole, right? We're not just pieces of uh, pieces kind of put together like a sandwich, but (laughs) But there's this idea of like, how do those all intermingle with each other, right? Like how much does her faith and her, like the artificialness of this heart-shaped herb kind of play into that of who she actually sees when she gets to that sort of experience, right? So I thought that was kind of a fascinating aspect of it too. The the whole tradition versus technology Mm -hmm. and... um... Like every aspect of Shuri's character, I thought was so well developed in this, um, and 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 even her reaction coming out of the the trance, uh, you know, when she takes the heart shaped herb, um, and she comes out and they say, "Who did you see?" And she, her immediate instinct is kind of a, a furious denial because she didn't get to see what she wanted. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know, my own experience. (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 My own experience of the spiritual life is like, I almost never get what I want Mm -hmm. from God when I ask. (laughs) Doesn't mean I don't get good things, but you know, what I want is, is not usually even on the table. (laughs) That's a Rolling Stone song, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You can't always get what you want. Is that Rolling Stones? Yeah. Yep. Yes. But you get what you need. <laughs> yep. That's so biblical. I mean, to you know me, me. Oh, I yeah. always thought of that song as biblical. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know? And a lot of their stuff had, like, um, uh, sympathy for the devil was very biblical in a way. I mean. In a different way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. A major biblical character, nonetheless. But, but yeah, but uh, but they also had um, they they also had a lot of a lot of songs early on that were from um, more blues based, and some of them had uh, a little bit of God in them, um, mm-hmm. more so than anything the Beatles ever did, really. You know, except well, for maybe Let It Be and that kind of stuff. Okay, so you brought up sympathy for the devil. So, so speaking of Namur, so uh-huh. so his ears are pointed, and like uh-huh. he's called the Spanish man of faith, as it says in the movie, calls mm-hmm. him a, a a devil or a demon or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, are his right. ears pointed in the comics? Yeah. Oh, yes. And, and was that it, meant to be like some kind of devilish, like? characteristic or was that just well 
Well, he was always kind of a raging character like Wolverine. Or Wolverine was always like him because he came much later, of course. But um, he was always kind of on the edge and caught between loving the surface people and hating the surface people. And mm. um, then what ha what uh, he used to have uh, in the middle years, like in the mid to late 40s, he, his head was almost perfectly triangular. And it looked okay. weird. It looked really, <laughs> really weird. And then when Jack Kirby kind of revised the character when he reappeared in the Silver Age, as they call it in comics, from the Golden Age, which is just where he first appeared, uh, his first Silver Age appearance was in Fantastic Four number four. And he was one of the first characters. He, well, he actually was the first Golden Age character that they brought back to the Marvel age. Then he was quickly followed by Captain America. And, uh, well, actually you, you can argue there was a human torch in the forties, but the human torch in the fantastic four was not that human torch. And that human torch was an Android from the forties also, but, and they haven't even gotten to him in the MCU yet, but in fantastic four, number four, um, Johnny storm goes to a flop house and they keep, uh, he's reading an old Submariner comic, and they go, this guy over here reminds me of that guy you're talking about, kid. And he goes over there, and there's Namor with the full beard and mustache, and Human Torch takes a, uh, his finger in, uh, on fire and shaves him real quick, and he goes, <laughs> my golly, it is the Submariner! And then he does the most stupid thing he can do. He goes and he drops him in the water, and he, he had had amnesia before that for years. He drops him in the water, <laughs> and Namor he had. Namor. And Namor comes up and goes, now I remember, I wanted to kill everybody in the surface world, or basically, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And Johnny's going, move, oh, Johnny. crap. Yeah. So, so, uh, but that's how he reemerged, and he became quite popular. He was probably one of the top five of the early Marvel characters. He shared a comic book with the Hulk for a long time. Um, mm. And then he got his own comic, and the Hulk got his own comic again. The Hulk had had a six-issue run uh, in 1962 to 63, and it didn't go well, but people still loved the Hulk. So they not only put him in other comics like Spider-Man and Fantastic Four in guest roles, but they also put him in the Avengers, and then they gave him a strip again because people wanted more Hulk again. So he had, but he's done, I mean, the Hulk is easily probably one of the top three identifiable Marvel characters. If I had to say three, I would say Wolverine, Spider-Man, and, and him easily, you know, the yeah. top three. Spider-Man makes more money than um, Batman or Superman now uh, in um, merchandise. Oh really? Yes, I believe that by far. Yeah, and and Sp uh, Spider Man's first appearance, uh, the best one of the best copies known to exist, to like a nine six, which on a scale of ten, and it recently went for three point two million dollars, which is more than either the first appearances of Batman or Superman have gone for. So, it's it's um it's pretty clear he's 
He's extremely popular, and people, for some reason, probably because we start reading comics when we're young, people really um, uh, saw themselves in Peter Parker. You know, I know I did as a kid. You know, I I I always thought of myself as either the Human Torch or Spider Man in my head. You know, <laughs> I didn't really think that, but you know, I didn't light myself fire or anything. Uh, oh, good, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah do not try this at home kids please um, don't yeah yeah i i think i always thought, thought of myself as like a cross between luke skywalker and bilbo baggins but uh, oh let's yeah. see your feet no i'm kidding yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh we've gotten a little far afield from from wakanda forever um sorry about that oh no no worries <laughs> this we we Circle around. It's just my job to bring us back. <laughs> I, I do believe. I do believe some. This was more Submariner's movie than anyone else's, um, because they gave him such good backstory. Um, his mother was a great character. Um, I just. I don't know. I really enjoyed that part of the movie the most. And and well, you know, it, it took me a while to catch up to figure out what was really going on because they did change the backstory so much, but you know, I, I really enjoyed it. That, that scene where he had Shuri in the, in the underground cave. Um, and he was explaining his backstory where we, where we get so much of that backstory, the connection between the two of them, um, I thought was just fantastic. Mm -hmm. And, and that tension of the like the two wills, um, you know, Shuri saying, "I will not let you harm that young girl," or or mm -hmm. or uh, as a Okoye called her, "very small girl" or a "very small woman" or something. <laughs> right. I that was small, that was, small girl. Yeah. Small <laughs> small girl. Yes. <laughs> and on the other hand, Namor's just insistence that you know we we cannot allow the surface people to conquer and, and, and dominate us as they have in the past. And those two strong wills, and you can identify with both of them. Um, and, and yeah, just wrestling through where, where is the solution to, to that kind of, problem of you, you can't protect everybody and and yet you you kind of have to and mm -hmm. I don't you have know. to do your best and that's all you can do because you you won't be able to protect everyone you 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 brought up his mod his mother as a character and um i really liked how they kind of transitioned into telling his story by um shuri was saying you know well you're a human you're or your mother was a human and and he's like, um, then she became something else. And sure, he's like, how? And he says this great line. He says, how? How is never import as important as why? And mm -hmm. um, and then he tells the story. But to me, um, you know, I think a lot of people from Mesoamerica or who have that ancestry, especially here in the United States, um, can relate to that that line, how is never as important as why? And maybe Andrew also, but the, just the idea of, I like the idea of immigration and how, 
Um, people, people's cultures have to change. People have to change in order to survive many times. And, um, so how they do that is never as important as why. And that's kind of what I picked up from that line. Um, you know, just bringing in the, the impact of colonization, you know, and, and how, how many, you know, cultures we've lost over history um, because they've had to change to survive, you know? Well, the most important thing I think in this movie, and you kind of set it up for me, Angela, because it was right in that same period of the movie, is Namor clearly declares himself a mutant. And in Marvel Comics, now, that now in uh, the Ms. Marvel miniseries, uh, they are first season of her regular series. She at the end it says she has mutated genes. They do not say she's a mutant, although that means she's a mutant. <laughs> <laughs> they also play the X Men animated series. Oh, I know uh, that was uh, wonderful. <laughs> I mean, they, they, <laughs> that was they, awesome. They had our number from the get go. Yeah, no, yeah, they knew exactly beautiful. what strings I love that. to play on the violin for us. You know, yeah. <laughs> to go jumping yeah. off the ship like the you know siren song. But <laughs> right. uh, but no, him him saying uh, I'm a mutant sets everything up for the X Men. And and not only that, but Namor actually is in the comics. He is the first mutant, but they they, they don't even say that in the comics until X Men number seven, and mm. and that it so it came up in the X Men. So someone was smart to think he was born with these powers because his father, uh, who is a white man uh, in the comics, married. Uh, a woman, an Atlantean woman, the queen or the princess or queen princess of Atlantis at the time. And so that's how he came about was that's a true mutant. So when he says I'm a mutant, that, that, it, I mean, you could have sounded a gong and it wouldn't have been as loud as what it's going to mean for the future from here on out in the mm. Marvel universe. So I just want to say that. Because I had forgotten all about it until Angela <laughs> went to that section of the film. Thank God. Yeah, that's the first time in, in the whole MCU since they acquired Fox and were able to legally say mutant. <laughs> that was Use the first the M time. Word. Right. Yeah, the M word. Right. Yeah. Um, they, yeah. they replaced it with Inhuman to a certain degree. At right. least they did in the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series, which I yeah. loved. And I thought it was okay that they did that. But uh, not only... Um, but but they made it clear. So okay, so in in the comics, Ms. Marvel is not a mutant. Ms. Marvel isn't inhuman. So it's kind of funny that they're flipping that when before everyone had to be an inhuman. You know, if they were talking about a mutated gene, it had to be that they were inhuman, which meant that they had some kind of Cree signature to their blood, but right? Okay, yeah. I'm going far too geek. Sorry about that, but I love it. We're all gonna have to know this eventually. <laughs> yeah, I'm just giving you a precursor. Things to look for. Part of what it's doing is setting up more Marvel movies. Right. Like, I mean, I, 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 I liked the character of Riri Williams, but she 
felt a little bit shoehorned into the movie to my taste. Oh, um, I agree. And, and it's like, I, I almost wanted to say, she seems like she's an important enough character, a, a big enough character that she should have had her own introduction in a, in a movie of her own or something. Or a series at least. Like or a series. Plus, yeah. Right, which is what they did with Ms. Marvel. At the same time, you know, the Black Panther was introduced in, what was it? A uh, civil war. No, Captain America um, civil war. Wasn't it? Uh, it was civil war. Yeah. Was it civil war? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was um, civil war. Yeah. yeah. So, so I yep. mean, there is this kind of tradition of introducing important characters in other mm-hmm. major movies. So, well, but that's just like the comics. So Wolverine first appeared, true. Wolverine first appeared in Hulk as the mm. villain. Uh, then they, brought back and rejuvenated the X-Men and they brought him in as one of the X-Men. How could they make Wolverine a villain? He's Canadian. Canadians are also nice. <laughs> oh, he, he's like he's like the poster child for evil, evil Canadian, you know? <laughs> you know, he can't help it. But um, originally, they were going to make him actually a mute, uh, uh, evolved Wolverine. And thank God they didn't do that because he wouldn't have been a mutant then. He would have been an evolved Wolverine. And the, the character Wolverine would have been evolved from right, the animal. By Wolverine. the high evolutionary okay, okay. Oh, who's who's going to be the villain in an upcoming Marvel movie in uh the next yeah, Guardians. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. There's just so much. Well, it's funny. It is. There's a ton to keep track of. And and the Fantastic Four will launch a whole nother. Then you'll get Silver Surfer. Then you'll get Galactus. Then you'll get... uh, Supposedly, there... I'm not saying this for true, but supposedly they've um, asked Keanu Reeves if he wants to be Galactus. Hmm. And... That would be an interesting choice. Well... If you think about it, it makes sense in 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 the it, because he played um, the lead in the remake of the Day the Earth Stood Still, where he was very much a judge of Earth and should it be you know blown up. Forgot about that movie. And that's kind of what Galactus does. <laughs> should I eat this planet or not? But you know. But yeah. but but there's a lot to look forward to when they do come out with the Fantastic Four. But all of this is being set up now, see, by and and Namor is a big part of the Fantastic Four story, the long story. So they're setting all mm-hmm. this up to where they can just insert these characters like they were in the comics for the most part. Because if you think about it, they haven't tweaked a lot of the relationships very much. You you, you might have someone of a different race or or something playing a character that you didn't expect. But if you look at the character and how the character reacts and acts, it's it's pretty much completely based on the their path in the comics. So they've they've been really good about that. They've changed a few radically, but only because they had to do it to fit the bigger story. But you know, for the most part, I'm really looking forward to a lot of the new stuff they have coming out. Really looking forward to Quantum Mania, um, and that's just next, next week. week. So, which is yeah, yeah, and 
all the press I'm seeing about Quantum Mania is is that it is going to be a major sort of world building game changer right. for the MCU, which is again kind of an odd choice. the The first two Ant Man movies were uh, kind of leaning more on the comedic side and on the the kind of right not central to the main story. And so to see an Ant-Man and Wasp movie suddenly become central to the main thread of the MCU. I don't know. Well, well, as uh, Payne Reed said, uh, the the director of the Ant-Man films, he's like, his first two films were like palate cleansers, you know, like after, after some crazy Avengers movie came out, (laughs) like an Ant-Man movie, like the palate cleanser. He's like, He's like, I only agreed to do the third one if I was able to do have like an Avengers level threat and uh, they gave it to him. So, yeah. Okay. Looks like Kang is uh, is coming. (laughs) Yeah. This is also a very early story in the Marvel age. This actually appears in, I want to say, around uh, Fantastic Four 18 and 19. Where, the Kang story, you mean? Uh, no, it's not a Kang story. It's it's actually where they go to the microverse, and oh, okay. and, and mm. that's what becomes all these other things. But it's Ant Man with Reed Richards and everybody, and he shrinks everybody down, so they all go down. So it's basically the Fantastic Fours who should be with him when he goes down there, but instead, of course, it's the original Wasp and Ant-Man and then the new Wasp and then Scott's daughter. But otherwise, it should be the Fantastic Four going with them. That's the way it was in the comics. Oh, but this is a yeah. very... but this, And Kang had nothing to do with it. Um, as far as I remember. Yeah, Kang first appeared in one of the first ten issues of The Avengers. And, hmm. and he... Here's something interesting. He, Dr. Doom, and, um, uh, oh my gosh, uh, Rama Tut were all supposed to be the same person. <laughs> and they've changed that since then, but, um, they were all supposed to be a different era of the person that started out as Dr. Doom. So Kang is actually a reflection of Dr. Doom in a way, although Dr. Doom um, hasn't even shown up yet and neither yeah. is Rama Tut. But well, that might be uh, a spoiler alert for somebody who hasn't seen some of the other MCU movies. I don't know if that, you know, anybody listening to this might be like, what is this Kang thing they're talking about? Oh, well, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> you'll find out next week, folks. You'll find out. He's in all the trailers. No, yeah. no actually Kang, was, Kang in was in Loki. A version of him. Yeah. Kang was a in version Loki. Of, yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah. I will say this, uh, Jonathan Majors is fantastic. I, I oh, loved man. him in um, uh, Lovecraft Country. I don't know if you guys saw that, but that was He's a wonderful series. Uh, it was very short, only like 10 episodes, I think. But it was um, it was amazing. And it really confronted race issues, you know, more so than Wakanda Forever, because you don't really... You know, race is never really a factor in Wakanda because they're like the best country in the world. You know, they're depicted in the comics and and in in the movies now. So they're like, and they were never colonized, Mm -hmm. you know. So there's a lot of things that make them 
so different as a as a um country and these are things that i had thought they might bring up more in um in the new movie but and they did they did i mean it's very very easy to see that scientifically they're head and shoulders above even the u.s well and and that was definitely part of of well, definitely part of the first Black Panther movie that was, you know, Killmonger's motivation mm-hmm. was, you know, why are you so isolated when people who look like us are being oppressed all over the, mm-hmm. the planet? And Namor had a similar argument, right. you know, the that, um, you know, these surface dwellers have, you know, come in and conquered and oppressed people um, all over the place. and you know, it's, it's us or them, or it's mm-hmm. us versus them. And the fact is history is really complex, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, even here in San Antonio, Texas, where I live, um, the, we have five Spanish missions here and, you know, there is a sense of loss and, and, and perhaps anger and frustration in some of the, um, you know, indigenous people whose ancestors lived in the mission. Um, but at the same time, there's also people of the same situation who uh, embrace the faith that they, their ancestors, you know, took on. And, um, you know, just last week I was at a mass um, where uh, they were celebrating their church's uh feast patrons feast day and here in san antonio especially for the the feast days where the the patron is of mexican descent or was Mm. in mexico um you see the matachinas which are the traditional dancers that come in and do the indigenous dancing with a traditional costume and the drums and everything as um part of the the mass itself as well as afterwards or before. Um, and that's very, very common here. Um, so the way to kind of, you know, look at, well, is it bad or good? Right. As you're saying that it's very complicated. And, um, I think ultimately the best thing that we can choose to do is to try to, you know, heal as much as we can. Like, you know, we were kind of saying at the beginning that, you go through all this suffering in your life and you have a choice. Do you become bitter from it? Um, or do you try to bring about true justice for everyone? You know, um, do you try to bring about healing for as many people as possible, including yourself and probably starting with yourself. Right. So, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how, how I, sort of came at this movie was um, just that that personal background and then just um, just loving, you know, I haven't mentioned it yet, but loving to see people that look like my family on the big screen and being taken seriously, you know, using a, a, the Mayan language, um, you know, that was awesome. Are, are your family blue? No, I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> I had to say that. <laughs> They look a little different than Hispanics. They've got the blue thing going instead of the brown thing. But Yeah, but, you know, the facial features, right? I mean, 
I just I don't I don't see that, you know, in movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And and I and I totally agree with you. I'm just I'm just kidding around. But yeah. No, <laughs> it, it, well, I what I did like was. They made him very different than the rest, just like they did in the comics. Now, in the comics, they came out around the same time as World War Two or right before it. And so what happened was the Atlanteans looked very much like a caricature of the Japanese, where they would make the Japanese look like devils, and they'd have great big eyes. And so a lot of the Atlanteans look like that. And so um, it, it's very easy to see that they were supposed to be something akin to, you know, another race that could be compared to like the Japanese because they wanted to invade us also. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of Namor's roots are probably somewhere in that zone, you know, but I I do think it fits much better uh, for the big screen that it turned out like, like it did, like you were saying, because it does, it, it, they did need a strong, and of course you have America from uh, Doctor Strange, and it's nice to see they're really paying attention and trying to bring the, um, you know, uh, Hispanic characters to the forefront. Yeah, they wouldn't yeah. be Hispanic, but they would be. Oh yes, Hispanic you're right. would be Spanish, but yeah. Yes, so you're the, right. yeah, I, the I apologize. Meso- yeah, no worries. Please correct me if <laughs> I, you don't. Block I educate when I can. <laughs> <laughs> just want to mention one thing that i think it was a cool like opportunity for them i i think set up by dc's aquaman because there's such they have such similar backgrounds in the comics like mm-hmm. they both come from atlantis they're both half human half atlantean you know um, they were only so created I, a year apart by the way too aquaman's from yeah. 1940 believe it or not and maybe there was something in the water. Well, I think <laughs> DC basically <laughs> wink, ripped wink. off the submariner. If you, <laughs> if there you was, will, there was but... a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of ripping off going on between DC and Marvel and especially oh, yeah. in the golden and they silver had, age. Well, in, yeah. in, in Marvel, uh, they had the wizard instead of the, the flash, flash. which the wizard is <laughs> kind of a problematic name. You know, but it sounds like someone who drank too much beer. But uh, but no, yeah. it, uh, in fact, the wizard made a brief appearance uh, in um, Jessica Jones, the final yes. season, or not the final, yeah. the second season of Jessica Jones. And he was this kind of overweight guy with glasses, and yep. he was super fast. But they said, how did you get fast? And he goes, uh, my mongoose bit me. And that's how the 1940s character got his powers was by wow. being bitten by a mongoose. So it, it's really funny that they do so they funny. do make sure that they use as many of these characters as they can. But the wonder, the wonderful part to me is, is that you don't know how they're going to appear. You don't know how they're going to tweak it. And that's the fun for me to see these movies and to see. And Namor was the biggest example of that, Angela, I think, was he 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 changed, but he didn't change that much. He still has the temperament and the ego of, of the Namor in comics. <laughs> I tried. I, I failed. Miserably, but I really <laughs> tried. I can't roll my R's. 
Well, and that's, I mean, that's one of the things about Marvel in general is, is they kind of run the gamut from the sublime to the ridiculous and they don't, um, they don't deny any of it. Um, they, they try to incorporate it. They don't go terribly deep, but the, at least they touch on some of the complexity and they don't completely shy away from the complexity of the the real world issues that they're they're kind of pointing to or referencing. Um, I think there's a lot more we could talk about. Certainly, you know, I I would love to keep talking all night, but we do have a time limit here. Yes, we do. Um, so I think the question now is for all of you listeners, what did you think of Black Panther Wakanda Forever? Um, we would love to hear your thoughts and questions and insights. Uh, you can email us at secrets at sqpn.com or you can leave a comment on our website at sqpn.com slash secrets. We're also on social media at facebook.com slash media. We're on Twitter at SQPN and please join our discord server at sqpn.com slash discord. You can be sure to subscribe to our show. Uh, we're on Apple podcasts, Google play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, you can find us anywhere. We're even on YouTube. Um, you can find previous episodes of this show at sqpn.com slash secrets. I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create secrets of movies and TV shows, as well as all our other SQPN shows. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make us possible to continue producing these podcasts. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So until next time, Andrew, thank you for joining today's panel. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Angela, it's been great discussing Wakanda Forever with you. Yeah, thanks so much, Robert. And Bill, it's been terrific having you on the show. Welcome to the SQPN family. Hey, thank you so much, Robert. It's been a real honor. I really enjoyed hanging out with you guys. Thank you. Right on. And once again, I've been Robert King. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Star Trek. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Trek.